0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So, why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit VIP.com. With a love for colour, pattern and layering prints, Bonnie Turner and Emma Pocock have grown from a two-woman band working from Emma's kitchen to a powerhouse in interior design with offices in London and Geneva. Named in the prestigious house and garden directory of the 100 leading interior designers and the Sunday Times top 30, they're widely recognised as leading a revolution away from the beige years, responsible for both classic luxury and quirkier urban looks. Welcome, Emma and Bunny, Turner-Pocock, to your Sheard Arts success stories. Thanks for
2: having us. Thank
1: you. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start at your training. What training did you do to become interior designers? And was that something that you always planned to do?
3: I think we're quite a good benchmark, the two of us, in terms of explaining two different routes into the business. Ems comes from a more conventional interior design background. I'll leave you to explain how you came to it.
2: So I was always not particularly academic, (laughs) very into kind of arty things. And so I went to university and did fashion, which I really wasn't that good at (laughs) and hated. I I hated the throwaway part of it and that you had to come up with these new amazing ideas that then literally were chucked in the bin sort of and you were straight on to the next collection. Obviously not at university, but that is what you're being trained for the whole time. And the whole time I was at university, I was reading House and Garden and all the interior magazines. So I ended up going to KLC for a year, which I was really in two minds about because I was desperate to stand on my own two feet. KLC is an interior design school based in Chelsea Harbour, but it's one of the sort of top kind of independent interior design schools. You can also do interior design at university, and it's different to that. It's like a, a diploma. And they teach you the same way that a degree teaches you, so it teaches you the sort of arty side of it, not really the running, the business side of it. And so I did that, and then I went to work for big interior design. I went to work for Henry Spencer Churchill first, who was very traditional, which is quite good training, wasn't necessarily my style, but it was a good thing to start off doing.
1: And how did you get your foot in the door with her? That's a pretty big name I just
2: had an interview with her, and... I have to admit, I think I wasn't quite sure who she was. <laughs> and then I got a job and thought, I would better take it. <laughs> and then I found myself immediately working on a huge grade one listed house in Dorset, which was absolutely amazing to be involved in. And obviously I knew nothing, but I was down in Dorset two nights a week and it was being done from scratch. And there was another interior designer, Robert Kime, on it, whose huge name, but who does sort of Prince Charles's houses and stuff. It was really quite an amazing project to be in straight from the beginning, so... That was my beginnings, which are very kind of classic interior design Bunny did a slightly different route. So I left university
3: and went to the Courtauld where I did a postgrad because my sort of dream at university was to go and work in the art world. So the Courtauld and doing an MA there was a great um, sort of way into that world. And I then ended up working in a high-end commercial gallery in the West End who were kind of they they dealt in big names like bacon and things. So it was a great opportunity, and I worked there for three years. But I became a bit disillusioned with the business whilst I was there. It's not a meritocracy, particularly it's a lot about who you know and the circles that you operate in. and my circles weren't the same as the ones that <laughs> owned Francis Bacon. So whilst I was in that gallery, actually, Ems and I, who were friends... So you were
1: friends already, yeah, We were you? friends already, Fra- but not great, great, friends. not great friends. I mean, I don't right.
3: want to paint a picture that we weren't, you know, <laughs> fond of each other. We were, but just obviously now we finish each other's sentences and are best friends. It's quite hard to take ourselves back mentally to the time where we were sort of acquaintances that knew each other in a room full of people kind of mm. thing, which is
1: really where it was. So you knew each other, you were friends. Our <laughs> and husbands
2: actually lived together then. But they weren't our husbands then. So we are, they, we were in the same group of friends.
1: So how did the conversation? So come the conversation. About?
3: So so whilst I was in that gallery, Ems was working for an interior designer, and she was sourcing art. And the art world to people that haven't spent any time in it is quite an intimidating space. And if you're specifying pictures for projects at high end um, values, you sort of need someone to hold your hand. And so it was in that context that we ever sort of overlapped professionally. I suppose at that point, we seemed to get on really well. And over a bottle of wine, as the best hatch plans often are, um, we sort of discuss the possibility of a future together where maybe we ran a business in interior design and had an art side to it. And interiors was something that had always interested me, but it wasn't something that I'd sort of entertain the idea of going into professionally. Anyway... After this dinner, it then became apparent that I needed to sort of facilitate a way of getting into the business. And I couldn't at the time afford to go through another year of training, having indulged the luxury of an MA already. <laughs> I didn't want to be sort of 40 and starting my career. So I decided actually that I would go and work for a developer which was my way in of sort of learning on the job and a very different side of the business to the one that Ems had experience in because it was a much more sort of project management side, the building side, the mm. regulations.
2: So as a team, it was a really good combination of mm. forces. When we actually started working together, we really sort of taught each other. We were by then working on projects. This is a bit later on down the line, but we were working on projects together and I was really teaching Bunny sort of how an interior design company works in terms of presenting, presenting to your clients and sort of doing that side of it. And she had much more experience than I did on site and certainly with you know, planning applications.
1: So you joined forces, you started your business, you called yourself Tana Pocock. Imaginative. Um, imaginative. <laughs> and you said from your kitchen, Emma, is that right? That was 2007. Yeah,
2: a mutual acquaintance was moving back from Hong Kong and someone said to someone, oh, Emma and Bunny might do your house. So, And that kind of gave us the kickstart to just go, um, Let's what's that? just leave our, our jobs and go and do this guy's house.
1: And that was your first client? And that was so? our
2: first client. And it was it was one of those converted school buildings in Battersea. He was moving back age 30 and had some cash to flash. And it was really quite fun, actually, working on that with him. And that we did that job sort of in the process of leaving our, our jobs before. The amazing thing about
3: a service sector business, which is essentially what ours is, is that you don't need much capital in the first instance to start your business. So and we had no capital. We had no we capital, but that. That job bought us our laptops, literally, and set us up for a few months with cash flow and salaries because we needed money to pay mortgages and rent. And... Then we were dealt an amazingly fortunate hand. I think where contractor who Emma had worked with historically sort of looked out for us and gave us a leg up on a, and introduced us to a client that was our first really serious job actually, and that was for a family house in Chelsea Square. And we were firstly employed just to do the kids' floor, and then he was so bowled over, fortunately by what we'd done, that he said, "Okay, just do the rest of the house." Which was crazy because the house looked amazing
2: anyway. <laughs> it was absolutely perfect. This house, and we were like, "Holy shit! What are we going to do to make that house better?" <laughs> anyway. We did the whole house again slightly thinking god this is so bad for the environment apart from anything else but and
1: how how clear were you on your brand you know there are one woman bands who they don't really go out to create a brand they're just themselves it's felt like for you that that's been a real priority was that yeah. from day one
2: i yeah. think there are two different things actually there is a there's the look of the brand, like our style. And that was something that developed slightly. We were always light colour and we always liked pattern, but definitely our, our the real kind of turner Popot style that you see now, we didn't even really realise it was there until a journalist said to us, Are you crazy? You've got like a really strong look.
3: And by the way, that was five years in. Yeah, know? that was yeah. it takes a long time because in the first instance you have to accept jobs that you might not take on from a stylistic point yeah. of view, but it feeds the coffers that need to support your team. But there is another side of it as well that's not stylistic based and it's about the sort of jobs you want to win we wanted to have a business where we did whole house projects and that's still the key defining point in a conversation with a client when they call up and make an inquiry if they just want us to do one room in the house that's not how we work you know we're a very holistic um sort of approach and and that's what we set out to do
1: and what were your brand values then back in 2007 so you're saying that it wasn't about color and pattern
3: service 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 because we knew absolutely, that the way we were going to win work was by word of mouth. It was all going to be about people saying, God, they were great. They were so easy to work with. And that remains a really core part of the Turner Pocock product, I suppose. It's as much about the service we give the clients and that they have a really happy journey going through the process, which is a deeply stressful thing for people to do, as the sort of visual end product. Mm.
1: And I suppose it's difficult because essentially you're- you're artists and you're creators, but you're not painting, painting for yourself. You're no, yeah. painting for someone else. Well, that's a, that's
2: a sort of clever line that you kind of have to walk along, where you are persuading someone to do something that you know is going to work and look really beautiful, and it may be against what they naturally wanted to do in a space. But
1: yeah, that that is a tricky part of the job. So going back to the Chelsea House, you did the room, and was it colourful? Was it? Right you know, was it for the pattern? Yeah, it was, actually. Was that something you? It was. It, it was a whole did. floor.
2: So it was, it was two children's rooms and the bathroom and the, sort of and the space outside
3: it. It was quite funny. We inherited the rooms and they were themed children's rooms. And the children were now teenagers and had left home. But the theme of the boys' room was sort of Pocahontas with... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, amazing amounts of money had been spent on this crazy sort of... Cowboys old, and yeah. Indians And sort of amazing bed drapes. Like, it was fabulous, but the children were now 16 and it. were definitely not going to be of that. So I think we took it down a quite neutral level. Level and then had flashes of bright,
1: sort of tealy colours. But and yeah, it was it, the start. I,
3: I think it's very rare to have an interior by us that doesn't have colour in it, actually.
1: After that project in Chelsea, what happened
3: next? So we photographed it a lot and put together... I mean, the photography side of our business has always been a really key element of how... We were taught very early on, or told by someone very early on, as a designer all you've got is the work that's gone before you and you have to photograph it whilst you have access to the house yes. and whilst it looks as you want it to because over the course of subsequent weeks or months it changes, art goes up that you might not like. So we've always spent a lot of money on photography. In fact, we had a rather frightening moment last year. We were in the process of rebranding at the moment and we had to really emphasise that the material we have is something that has to be used because the danger of rebranding is that you have to do lots of lifestyle shots that are quite different to the material we have. And it's a and 150 it's worth <laughs> of the the photos list. basically. But it's worth Wish. every penny because actually it's what gives you the chance then to show clients that you're capable of. And critically actually in those early years what we demonstrated through our portfolio was there was a hugely varied output. So clients sort of felt confident that they could use us regardless of their style almost because they knew we'd do a good job and deliver
1: something that was a high standard. So you really invested in the photography and did you then go out and try and get lots of PR off the back of that?
3: No, we didn't really. I think we knew that we weren't in a place to get PR and actually... I don't think that PR should be the focus of a young business, actually, like ours. You know, it's it's quite a weird business, interior design, because you're not selling product. You're selling something that's very high value to a very
2: few number of people. So it's Mm. different to
3: other more conventional businesses, I suppose. Yeah, I
2: mean, right from the beginning, we were selling something that was going to cost that client at least 150 grand, probably. So every client that came to us, you know, you're only talking five, 10 clients a year. It's very different to a sort of product-based company. Mm. We didn't have to get our name out to that many people, but we had to get it out to the right people. So it was really all about word of mouth so you know we got one of the first jobs from this builder who we're very close to still and we still work with him a lot we suggest him for most projects he suggests us to lots of people we try to meet lots of architects and project managers and that sort of type of people to start with
1: so would you say that that is the best way to get work as an interior designer is building relationships with definitely me, yeah people in for, the trade exactly. yeah
3: and relationships with people in the trade that are likely to when you repeat work from different clients ironically clients rarely are the people to refer you actually because they don't want other people having this same house as them their greatest fear is that right. and, and we yeah, get very very close to our clients you know we know whether they share a room with their husband who sleeps on which side of the bed whether they snore whether they you know it's a very intimate relationship yeah. so there's a degree of concern that maybe they don't want us to sort of betray their confidence not that we ever would but you know I think that's the anxiety around it.
1: Let's talk about you two as business partners do you have different roles in the business I mean we touched on where you both came from and, and different areas But today, how does it work?
3: I'd say that's almost our sort of greatest failing, if there is one, is that we are two of the same people. Because quite often, this is how we imagine businesses, is that if you have business partners, they generally have different skill sets. And it's a sort of divide and conquer approach. I think we are very, very similar people. Which is actually, it's amazing that we're such good friends and have never had conflict actually in a business. Because normally, when there are two of you that are really similar, it breeds issues.
2: We've never had that. Didn't we? We once listened to some kind of podcast or watched a video or something about you two. And someone asked Bono why you two have survived for so long compared to all of the other bands who've all broken up. And he said it's all about egos you have to leave the ego at the door if you're going to remain a team. And we talked about that, I mean, years ago. And I always admit, it, it's so true, the only time that you ever have any issues in, in a sort of partnership is if you become competitive with each other as long as your kind of ego is as one you're fine i think what's happened is we have ended up growing to love each other like siblings it's quite so unusual. there's never
1: any conflicts no very
2: rarely or or you know if 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 we we might kind of snap at each other but as it, as bunny said it is like siblings so we you know two minutes later we've forgotten about it we also had our first babies on the same day in the same hour on the same corridor in the same hospital well, having our babies at the same time was obviously not it was not look, great that,
1: planning no, no it was terrible,
2: terrible. And so we had to work through that, which was a bit of a nightmare. But
3: I think we would have been quite unforgiving of each yeah. other if one had been absent for six months. I'm slightly in awe of people who are business partners that support each other through their first maternity leaves when the person doesn't, you don't understand each other's position. Yeah, you
1: haven't been there yet. You just don't because get it. Like all mm. the sort of
2: weird pains. You yeah, I remember Bunny lying on the floor in the middle of the office going, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, just <laughs> on the floor. And if I hadn't been pregnant and understood that you get weird feelings. I just would have been like, the get up, you we've got stuff to do.
1: Floor. And what do you do in that case? If you have the same skills and there isn't an obvious look or feel that one of you takes on what do you do if a great project lands on your lap that you both want to do and we so do we, together we
3: design so we design everything together anyway so yeah. we started the company because we are designers we love designing and it's one of the sort of greatest challenges about the business and growing the business is making sure that we stay at the front line of designing not just doing the the business side of it the administrative side of it occupies so much of any business owner's time and one of the ways that we ensure that happens is that we are both involved in every project at a design level which sounds bonkers to lots of people but it then means we can filter off once we've done the design package and we get into the more administrative part of the project one of us can walk away and leave the client in the hands of the other is how it works. Okay.
2: With, with the junior designers kind supporting of helping, us. supporting us, yeah. The design part of a project actually is so little of a project, sadly. It's, you know, we're talking kind of 5% at the beginning of a project, and then we know exactly what the house is going to look like in our minds. eye. We can visualise every single room, and then it's just about... Making it happen, which takes another couple of years.
1: <laughs> Talk to me about the sort of evolution of the business and your team, because you're a team of eight. Is it nine, nine now? Actually. Nine. What does that team look like and how has that happened? Who was the first person you took on and what role did they so do? So the
3: first person we hired, we moved from Emma's kitchen table to a room in my flat and then from a room in my flat to uh, our own office. And we recruited, when we moved into a room in our flat, a very, very artistic, quite fey junior designer. And she was brilliant, actually. She taught us a lot. She trained at Parsons. So she was very influenced by American designers. And she joined the business at a time where our language was really becoming defined. And I think she was quite instrumental in our end look actually then we recruited an office manager and it was really frightening recruiting the office manager because actually they were administrators and they weren't fee earners and they weren't contributing to the design process and that felt like us dead money in inverted commas and actually it was the best recruit we ever did because it freed us up to then do the bit that was the fee earning
1: and I, I, think, really I think that's, you know, for people with their own business, you're so right, that's the bit. So much, yeah. Where you sort of loathe to spend that, you're like, oh, I can do the contracts myself, I yeah. can yeah. do the ordering the loo roll, or whatever it is, but actually, what, someone told me that very young, actually, what is your time worth, if you gotta you look at the bigger picture, and what you could be generating. Yeah. And the and
3: advice that, that I would give this. to someone that was starting a small business is that recruit that person early enough, that they feel, and recruit the right person, um, so that they feel, i.e. don't go too cheap, that they feel empowered to build systems because actually what this person did brilliantly for eight years for us or seven years for us was she initiated systems administrative systems within the office that then made it so much easier to run
2: yeah so then just adding in junior midway senior designers into the process has happened quite organically as we've got bigger jobs and it's quite sort of flexible in the sense (coughs) that Someone might leave and we may not feel that we've got that much work. We don't necessarily need to replace them right then. But then suddenly, what always happens is then three months later, we get a massive job and we have to suddenly get another couple of people because we're like, oh my God, how are we going to do this work? Because it's very, very work heavy when we get a new project because we design everything at the beginning. Then it becomes
1: a more structured process. So talking about the process... Talk us through what that process actually does look like from start to finish. So I'm a client and I come to you. So we, we, we
2: would come and see you and then we would do a fee proposal. And once the client has agreed that they're going to use us, we have what we call the design direction meeting, which is when the client gets their chance to tell us what they want their house to look like and we ask them to show us pullouts from magazines and their Pinterest board and any fabrics. They very rarely show us fabrics. It's more they show us photos of rooms that they like.
1: Are they coming to you because they want your colour and your pattern well, and now- your... Yeah, Yeah,
2: And more and more now, they come to the design direction meeting with a bunch of our our rooms and go, I love these ones. Then when that happens, we know that this job is super easy because we we can do it exactly how we would do our own house, but whatever suits the architecture and their personalities and things like that.
3: And then as part of that meeting as well, we have a set of the floor plans in front of us and we really interrogate the detail of how they plan to live in each space because that's so critical and try and draw out the real truth because some people live in fantasy where they think they're going to have dinner parties every they weekend think they yeah. and, in, like, yeah, yeah, I it's like Can where actually, do you actually sit down where do you actually eat so we yeah. have um we've developed a questionnaire actually over the last 10 years that we add to every time something new comes up that covers everything like whether you want upholstered chairs or not where you charge your toothbrushes you know really detailed information that they are meant to bring to the table in preparation having completed it and it also gives couples a chance to discuss things together because quite often we're dealing with just wives because husbands are busy and it's important and then they bear. see what it's
1: going to cost them and they go i don't know, I might come to the next meeting <laughs> although that's
3: also another very important thing that we establish at that exact meeting is a budget do you answer a budget to.
1: before we even meet someone no but we, no, have- we would work out roughly the size of the project do you want so, to know where the house is yeah etc etc
2: how you know check that they're going to do the whole house because as we've already said we generally only work on whole houses and roughly what they're but we tell them normally a figure that per square foot that it might cost to decorate a decorator house and we're talking about the the furniture budget there's also then the building budget is separate thing and we'll also talk about that kind of figure which is something that's a bit more flexible and we're we're less able to be exact on that figure
1: but mm. so you have your meeting they come to you with their inspiration. yeah. Inspiration, and you questionnaire, floor
3: plans, floor plans and budget are all captured in that document and then and we disappear off and start the really complete design process away from them. It's totally separate and that takes six to 12 weeks depending on how big the house is and it covers absolutely everything from hard finishes to soft stuff, cushions, lampshades, switches, you name it. It's like the most complete document you can imagine and we then present that to them in person and go through it over the course of...
0: All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161 percent. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic C Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin.
1: What is to stop them at that point going, hmm, that's a good idea, that's a good scheme, I'm just going to do that myself?
3: So they don't know where anything's from? They might go to the harbour and spend hours
2: doing it. It is so much work for them to take on what we've done by then. Normally, the kind of people that have just paid us the design fee, we charge a design fee for that process. Right. Um,
1: Which is quite
3: a substantial... So even if they didn't
1: go ahead with you... We covered covered our time for
3: that. that But it does cover our time only. So that's not a sort of... The way that we have worked out our fees is very much that the presentation phase is a cost-based process product
2: essentially.
1: And what is the cost of that presentation phase?
2: It's based out on square footage of the house. It's a cost per square foot. So
1: you know if they waste your time you at least need a bit of money. Yeah. Them. Okay so you then present back to them and all being well you then kick off. Yeah. How long does the actual process from that kickoff of yes we like those colours you might tweak it I suppose. How long does it take to do a full project roughly?
3: So then it depends on the scope of the building works completely actually. So it, we've just literally taken on our first decorating job which is so nice and refreshing and different. <laughs> like, you know, we've, we've done projects that take five years. Like, we've had six babies born in the space of a project before, which is kind of crazy. But this one is a dream because it's the length of ordering of the furniture. That's it. And that's mm. incredibly rare. And mm. in that instance, it's six months and it's the longest lead time items, which is probably rugs. But on a build project, if you're digging basements, you know, suddenly you've got to factor sure. all of that into your...
2: Timescales. And most projects we work on now are have architects involved in our big build projects. So it's quite rare that we just do a decorating I'd say now. our average project
1: is
3: 18 months, actually.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. I read that you had to ban yourselves from using a certain fabric in every project.
2: I know it's tragic. We <laughs> still absolutely love it.
1: and <laughs> um, how do you keep coming up with something new? Because I imagine it's really easy to say, yeah, just that headboard, that's brushback, that, you know, because ultimately well, it's actually, your signature, isn't it?
3: I think that's the joy of the style, if you like, that we have come up with, I suppose, is that, you know, colour and pattern bring all sorts of opportunities to the table. You know, the, the predecessors in our business who sort of were known for beige and taupes actually had a much more limited um, sort of spectrum of options in terms of uh, inspiration but we go to exhibitions and we go and see trade fairs and go and source out new suppliers and new furniture designers and we're lucky we work with some brilliant brilliant suppliers in this country that do yeah. quite groundbreaking cool stuff
2: and we're very influenced by we've always said we're very influenced by the Americans and, and American fabrics particularly there's a lot of cool um, fabric designers in America like Galbraith, are, Galbraith and Paul and china seas and just such great fabrics that now you can get relatively easily mostly through tissu de helen and she's just brilliant she's got them all over here and i think you know 10 years ago you couldn't get loads of those designers my american
1: friend she just has a a house full of prints i'm so envious of her her sort of just eye oh, to be per able to clash them, yeah. and mix them. I yeah. mean, what are the rules when it comes to prints? Because I think so many people are scared they think one print per room. I remember someone telling me years ago that I needed two prints per room. I,
2: thought, I know. I think I not about that. No, very much not one. But it's about scale and you, you have to mix different scales. So and if, styles. Are and styles, yeah. But I think we, we would very much, if we're layering different fabrics on the table. We would normally have a sort of what we call the kind of linchpin fabric, which has to have more than two colours in it. And then that feeds off to the to the rest of the scheme colour wise. Then we would layer patterns on top of that, but and they have to have all have to have a different scale or be t- slightly different type of pattern. Like you could have a stripe and then a flower, and then a tiny little paisley, and then a great big geometric, geometric or, or something. And you can,
1: ooh, I mean,
2: that sounds really hectic, but I no, know, but it has to crazy. work on the <laughs> has to work on the table, but and but. it's textures. You have to throw textures
3: into the mix as well. Yeah. Some are printed on linen. Then You've got to get velvets in there. It's it's a sort of yeah, layering everything up.
1: And when you look back through your portfolio of images, properties, which I have done. It seems to me that you are one of the interior design brands that use dark colours, quite early on
3: yeah we did I mean our our first projects were Terrace London houses and that kind of middle room in a Terrace London house really lends itself to being treated in a sort of dark moody way we have a bit of a mantra that we preach endlessly about which is that you can't make a dark room bright or a bright room dark so rather than fight the battle it's better to kind of go in and make it cozy and if a room is dark and presenting dark and is north-facing it really thrives on dark muted colors and that worked really well for us, actually. And you know, now it is everywhere. In fact, it's quite challenging. It's very much part of our language. So we're yeah. trying desperately to kind of recreate ways of getting that moodiness across without it being another blue room. Because mm. there are lots of blue rooms out there. So <laughs> the blue, bit, rooms we've at the
2: blue at the moment. Have you? Yeah, what are you going for instead of blue? Then? Green, moody greens. Greens. green. I you yeah. sure that. Greens. We've just done. I just put on Instagram yesterday, actually, a green, di- a kind of moody dark dining room that we're installing this week which is quite cool actually. But in seeing more I love dark blue but and all the shades that it brings, but it is just everywhere at it's the moment. So now, yeah, it? we're it's a bit banned.
1: And you mentioned but, uh, London residential houses. What is the bread and butter for a UK interior design business?
2: So I think
3: London houses is our mainstay. It's sort of 60% of our business, I'd say as much as that. We had a funny moment a few years ago where we sat down and talked about what we wanted to achieve in the future, basically. These sort of seminal discussions happen on a whim every now and again. Normally a little bit drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And we were slightly bored at that point of doing terraced houses. We were like, God, you know, we were probably both living in them. And I think we just wanted something new. And part of being designers is wanting to be challenged by new things. And at that point, we suddenly started winning the most random jobs, like a really modern house in Zurich. Country house in the south of France.
2: Uh, I mean, it was crazy.
3: And we didn't have one single terrace house on our books, which was actually really refreshing. We had lots of different uh, architectural
2: spaces.
1: You have an office in Geneva. Yeah. How did that come about? Well, it
2: was... At about that time that Bunny's talking about, it was really to do with the fact that my husband got a job in Geneva. And there were various different ways that we could have worked that. I knew I didn't want to stop working and go over there and leave Turner Pocock. And we were already working on quite a few foreign jobs. We'd done a couple in the Middle East. We'd done one in France. So it just seemed quite a good thing to have a little office there that it runs the foreign jobs, basically. From having the Geneva link on our website, it made... Us get jobs that I don't think we would have gotten otherwise. So, we have got some brilliant jobs in Switzerland and normally from British or people who've lived in Britain clients. The design world is very, very different in Switzerland and sort of a lot of Europe. Italy's very, very modern. That's the furniture that comes into Switzerland generally. It's very architectural. They don't really have interior designers over there. So, if anyone wants a job interior designed and decorated like the british or the americans do it there are very few options so we've got some brilliant jobs from being there and i go backwards and forwards i'm half in london and half in geneva in a week basically so i do a lot of flying and arguably it's cheaper for our clients
3: our swiss clients to order things through us so they procure through us and then we import it to switzerland so expensive over there
1: what are your own houses like so mine
3: is a terrace house in london (laughs) (laughs) it is, the core of it is very traditional. And then we have a really modern kitchen extension, actually. And we've kept that really crisp and white and bright so that it's in direct contrast to then the much more moody, period, cornice space full of colour
2: and pattern and I have to say everyone's seen the pictures of 100 times yeah they probably all know what Bonnie's house looks like so
3: interestingly actually our our houses were the thing that won us our first publicity I suppose about four years into having the business because people are quite interested in the narrative about your house and how you came to it and they're really I think you're probably the freshest design wise with your own space you can take
1: braver decisions than you can inflict on clients you'd hope so you'd hope you're not that You know, web designer with a terrible website, which was amazing how many people had it. It, The awful thing is, is doing out your
2: own house is so expensive, and obviously, you've got to have the money whether you're an interior designer or not. We live
3: by the rule that. There is If you design everything in, in the first instance where you do it, then you don't change it ever. And I'm eight years on from having designed our house, and I still don't think there's anything, A, that I'm tired of, and B, that I would change, which is Wow, that's quite amazing, yeah. Yeah, that is.
2: What I, about your house, Emma? Well, I'm t- tragically, and it really breaks my heart every day, living in a rented house in Switzerland, which for an interior designer is like a pain <laughs> to the soul. You
1: talked about the first real coverage you got being from your own houses. You were named as one of the top 30 interior designers in the Sunday Times and you're in the house and gardens top 100. How important are those accolades do you win a lot of business through them?
3: So we debate this endlessly. Actually, I think. Oh, I'm glad I asked. I think top one hundred. The answer definitely. is top one hundred. Definitely, uh, articles in magazines are in part about polishing one's ego, and also we're creative. We like people seeing what we've done, what we've created.
2: Uh, so you want to get it out there. Um, I have to say, it's slightly dependent on the magazine. There are certain magazines where you get very good projects from directly from those magazines someone will say I have seen your project on the front of house and garden and I've held on to it for eight years and now I, I'm, I'm coming to you so the shelf are, life of those magazines is amazing yeah but I think it's but a, there are other magazines where we've been asked rung up and asked if we clean carpets because we've had an article on those magazines right
1: <laughs> so valuable are, then so and, what, and so what other things you, you said that you get most of your business through word of mouth? So, as an interior design business, what do you focus your marketing efforts on? Then, well, it's all word of mouth. I,
2: I think the word of mouth thing has slightly changed to what it was. That was kind of in the beginning. It's now much more people in the know about interior designers who talk about us. So, so actually now, uh, showing up in magazines in House and Garden and things is actually bringing our name to the sort of surface of people or to the tips of people's tongues the whole time. And I do think that
3: it's about saturation gets you in part. Yeah. It's sort of the layering effect. I think is the the way that we sort of conceive it. So you're in the top 100, you get articles occasionally, you're on Instagram feeds that's quite active. And I think that all combines to give clients comfort that you have a presence in the industry, basically, and that you're recognized and supported by people in the know, essentially.
2: Our marketing is quite sort of ad hoc. We end up getting involved in things that become great big marketing processes like doing Holiday House and doing the VIP room at DecorEx and things. And they're sort of a mistake. We end up getting involved in them and then they become these huge great things that we get loads of press for, which are absolutely brilliant. But last year we did a lot of those and it was absolutely exhausting. So this year we're really trying to keep it on the down low and just do our actual projects. But we don't really have a marketing strategy which is probably terrible.
1: So how are you growing as a business? It's happening organically and yeah. as you become more and more established in the industry.
3: Yeah. yeah, and the bigger the projects we work on, the more consultants there are on a team. So there are suddenly 16 people around a table at the design meetings. And before you
2: know it, you're being referred for work by one of them. And also the bigger the projects that we work on, the less we mm-hmm. want to do the little kind of great projects. You know, we are working on some pretty spectacular projects now with really amazing architects. And once you've got involved in projects like that, it's quite difficult to go backwards, you yeah. know.
1: And how many projects at any one time on average About twelve at different stages, I'd say.
2: Yeah, I think we've probably got about seventeen on our list at the moment. But those will be finishing off and very beginnings, and so every all of those projects are at different periods of their process. That's Um, the goal: is that you are sort of dovetailing
3: the stages at different times. That was the greatest challenge of us coming back from maternity leave, joint maternity leave of about five minutes when we had (laughs) our girls. Was that we had sort of the business had to sort of grind to a halt in part and then we had to start again and so we were out of sync
1: essentially. And you talked about just needing enough money to buy a laptop back in two thousand seven. And that's the beauty of a service business, right? Like your Yeah you yeah. can
2: start with nothing.
1: For people that don't know, what is the business model of an interior designer so we get a
2: design fee for the
3: cost of the design presentation we then charge retainers or hourly fees to cover our involvement in the build side of the project and then we charge procurement fees which is a percentage
2: of the value of the goods that we're ordering
1: and you scale the business by hiring more designers taking on more projects
2: it's definitely not as good a business model as a product type business because it is not as easily scalable. As we scale, our lives become more and more and more stressful, which probably is but the same. But that's about
1: delegating to other designers. Well, it it is, is, it is, Except we
2: are removed then from the design process. And we're completely control freaked. And that's a bit ultimately, And that will stop us ever scaling too enormously. We have a business consultant who we see every few months, and she said... You know, by the time you get to about 20 people, you're just feeding the machine. And we both looked at her in absolute horror. And we we don't really have any wish to be just feeding the machine. We want to be involved Creative. in the designing. Yeah. So unless we employ someone else to feed the machine, we're going to stay at kind of the size we are, I think. The size you are. We say that, although then we get a new person every year. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> You've done quite a few collaborations. Is that a money making thing? Is that a PR thing? Why do you do that? Is that an ego thing? It's nice to do collaborations.
2: It's really fun. My sister in law is a branding consultant and she said, Oh, you girls should do this. And we'd never even thought about it. And then we happened to be talking to Mikhail at Christopher Far Cloth. She was talking about recoloring Carnival, which was the fabric that we were talking about that we're not allowed to use Mm -hmm. in the office. And we were like, We'll do that. And it was so fun. We did it for a day in their, in their print studios and we chose the colours and actually found it exceptionally easy because it's a fabric that we totally love and we just sort of splashed colours around and then got these three more great colourways out of it. So we, we've kind of decided that it's something that we really want to do you know, more of and it's inspiring too. It's what yeah. kind of replenishes the juices and keeps us
1: kind yeah. of focused. Yeah. And who in the industry inspires you?
3: So I think there are lots of different answers to that question. Nina Campbell has always been a bit of a hero for us because I think her sort of ethos in supporting young designers and being really enthusiastic about what they're doing, she's a sort of matriarch of the business, Mm. has been doing it for years, Mm. is great friends with her clients, as are we. We're also really inspired by the women who are our age, who've run businesses for as long as we have, that are making great bounds in their specific areas of the design world, like Sophie Patterson, Laura Hammett. Uh, we might have very different aesthetics, but principally we're running businesses in the same area, and so there's
2: a lot to be shared in discussions with them. We've sort of started a little kind of supper club, I suppose, with some of the our generation of interior designers. And, you know, until literally last year, we didn't know any of these people. And we were like, we're going to put together a dinner. And we did it at 5 Hartford Street, and we had kind of all about 12 or 14 interior designers of our generation. And we did it with the girls who run de Gournay. It was absolutely brilliant, and now they've become our friends, and it's become much more regular. and And I think in the eighties, you know, none of the none of the big female interior designers would have talked to each other, yes, at can't. all. It's, it's been colonized with
1: the enemy. Yeah, and that. someone but, said know. to me once, "Don't ever look at anyone." as a competitor in a negative way you know you can always learn with them you can always connect with them there's always going to be some mm. kind of mutually beneficial yeah, connection that you can have with them do you and feel like you can only be friends with people that have a different aesthetic to you i mean no. Laura and Sophie have a very different look to No no i God. think
3: it's about your businesses we decided that the invitations for that to dinner were going to be sort of governed by the place at which people's businesses had reached and they had to have been going for sort of 5 years and be established and focused enough on where they wanted to go there but are think- enough projects in London uh, no. actually out there for it to feed as many design
2: practices that are good enough for them.
1: And why do you think you've done well? Why are you on that list? I think quite
2: serious hard work. We completely by coincidence because we never discuss work ethic. And I think if anyone had ever said to me, Are you the hardest worker in the world? I definitely wouldn't have said yes. But we both really love it and we really worked our ass off for, and we still do. But we've now got families in the mix too, which makes you, you can't just disappear off for three hours on a Sunday afternoon and just clear your desk, which is quite stressful. But we basically both work super hard.
1: You mentioned families. Let's talk about that. How do you juggle it? Because you show that, you know, you're here saying it's hard work, it's a business, it's not a lifestyle. How do you do that with your children?
3: And I have an amazing nanny. Yeah, like a rock and has been incredibly supportive. I had the curveball of twins after my daughter. And obviously, having had our first on the same day, we then had to kind of manage the process of our subsequent children. So the twins really was a bit of a. Well, we did not expect that to happen in our great plan. Yeah, we are definitely three parent families, <laughs> um, which is a good place to be, actually. So I leave the house at sort of eight in the morning. I try and do the school drop two or three times a week. So I feel like I've got a connection with the school and have a nice school run yeah, where I I'm chat same, about things. The and then I'm generally back in time to give bedtime stories and a kiss goodnight. And then I try really hard to be very super present at the weekends when I am with them. But that requires huge amounts of discipline and putting one's phone to the side. And I'm learning how to do that. Because actually so, our clients are most communicative often at weekends when they're together and
2: able to discuss things. I also think sort of going back to how we approach work being interior designers and people going back to work and becoming interior designers around their family we don't really approach work sort of as interior designers we could just as well be bankers we work those kind of hours we take it as seriously as that it's not really something I mean we actually the one thing that I do think is that we're very lucky lucky with is that we can if it's sports day, go to sports day, Mm -hmm. almost always.
1: various flexibility, yeah. You might have to work really late, (laughs) that Exactly, you
2: can go to sports day. Exactly, and And you you don't have have to to explain to anyone and you don't have to feel guilty about it. We also
3: both have really great husbands who are incredibly supportive and kick us into line. I I mean, I for sure found that going back to work, having had children was really challenging. Your confidence isn't what it was before and that's difficult to manage, actually. And it was my husband who was like, for God's sake, go, just get out the door and go and do what you're really good at doing and
2: I think you need people
3: like that around you that's true
2: they are very supportive but I guess the reason that we didn't cite them is because they are also quite serious workers both of our husbands so they're not at home being house husbands
3: and they're not involved in our business critically and will not be or they try they
2: try to (laughs) be constantly
1: and do you battle with yourselves I mean I work similar hours to you and I'm okay with that although as the children get older I know it's it's actually ironically going to be harder are you okay with that mentally Five days a week, full-time
3: working. I I am fine with it, but I do know and recognise that, as you say, the older they get, the harder it becomes, which is ironic because in those sleep-deprived early weeks, you can't imagine that it would get any more difficult. But I think the demands on you as a parent... Um, definitely become more challenging as the questions become bigger. I think it's about creating flexibility in your working arrangements so that you can be available to help with homework and things like that at home and then work late. I mean, I think that's the only way it's going to work yeah. for us, really. I mean, I find the hardest thing is navigating that tricky conversation which I'm in at the moment of, Mummy, why do you have to go to work? You know, And then citing a number of children in the class whose parents don't mm. work. But I also think and I think the- it's very important to present it not just as a financial thing, but as a choice, that I I'm agree. making the choice. I enjoy it I really, exactly. But then that's hard for them to understand that message because they feel like you're choosing it over them and it's just... But I do think more and more
2: and more women are going to be working and are going to need to work. So our children and the girls particularly are going to... Our generation are much more of a generation of working girls as our children are. So it is going to become more and more and more normal and they won't have the choice. So frankly, everyone's got to get used to it.
1: Well, my daughter and I spent... Quite a lot of time on our last holiday, coming up with business ideas. She even wrote a business plan age seven. Oh, that's amazing! Seven. So I think that's a positive way to yeah. push the kind of importance of working. It is onto them and make it yeah, make it a positive thing. Back to interior design. What advice would you have for people listening who want to get into the world of interior design?
3: I think they need to understand that it is about ten percent creative versus ninety percent administrative. So it's essentially running a business, um, and I think that's the greatest sort of
2: misguided thought is that they might be yes being
3: creative so, you're, you're, know, constantly to, no,
1: fabrics. you're not
2: no and you know there's some challenges to the industry and you're working with the building industry very closely who are notoriously tricky the majority of our job is problem solving firefighting as probably most jobs but and yeah. you've
3: got to be really good with people you know so your job you're essentially a psychologist <laughs> in a, a lot of what you do so you've got to have the appetite for that i would say
1: yeah Just before we finished, can we have a tip from you both, people doing their own homes? Funny, what would you say? Absolutely no feature walls.
2: We would generally say you need to have courage of your conviction. Paint your cornices in with the walls if you want to do that, but really got to go for it. Trust yourself and
1: your gut. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Thank you so much. I've loved chatting to you. We are such fans of your style and of Turner Pocock. And if you're in the market for brave interior design, then go and see Turner Pocock. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,